You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Tim Campos, and he's the former CIO of Facebook. These days, he's the CEO of Woven, where he's taking those lessons that he's learned throughout his career to reimagine how people use their calendars so they can spend more time on what really matters. So, welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you've had a really interesting journey. You've been the CIO of a couple of really large companies, and now you've jumped into startup land. So that's always, oh, there's got to be some interesting stories behind that. I'm sure we'll dive into a couple of those today. But give us a minute or two and just kind of tell us kind of how you got here, the high levels, and then what we're going to talk about today, just so everybody understands, you know, we're not talking necessarily about calendars or about Facebook. We're going to tackle a little bit different subject. And I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, which makes it very cool, which is how to better leverage data to actually grow your business, right? So how to use the data that your business is accumulating and make it actionable and something that you can turn and convert into growth. So I know that as a CIO, data is a big part of what Tim has probably done during his career. So he's the perfect guy to talk about that. So give us a little quick backstory and then we'll dive right in. Absolutely. So I'm probably the easiest way to describe me is I'm the fusion of technology and business. My, I started my career as an engineer. I spent the first half of my life in product development roles and then moved into information technology, which is really how do you apply technology to achieve business results? And then did that at two companies before starting, starting Woven. I've always had two defining aspects of my career, which will be relevant for our conversations today. One is productivity. I care a lot about my own productivity and the productivity of others. That's in large part what I was doing at Facebook for the last six and a half years before starting Woven. But the other is, as you pointed out, data. I have always been really, really passionate about the opportunities that data represents. My first company was a database company. Almost every single role I've had has had a major data component, including my my role at Facebook. And it's one of the reasons that uh, we started Woven. So really passionate about both of these areas. Awesome. Cool. So tell me, uh, what, how did you end up landing the gig at Facebook? I mean, you know, becoming, <laughs> did you work in a lesser role and work your way up? Or did you get hired and headhunted right into the CIO role? I was hired straight into the CIO role at Facebook. It was my second CIO gig. I had essentially decided after the first one, I would never do it again. It's a tough job. (laughs) That is a tough uh, job. But, you know, Facebook was in Facebook was a lot smaller than my previous company at the time. It was like 1,500, 1,400 people, less than a billion in revenue. And I interviewed there just because I thought it was interesting. But I kind of fell in love with the company. I was really amazed by the culture and how Mark Zuckerberg basically had built out the an environment where people really felt that they had all the ingredients to be successful 
And I had a lot of optimism about Facebook's future at the time. And so that's what got me into, into that. And, but I was hired straight into the CIO role. I was the first CIO that, that they'd ever had. And they had a bunch of problems at the time. They were growing. They couldn't keep their systems up and running. Sales was a very inefficient business process. Recruiting was a very inefficient business process. And they were worried that as they got bigger, that they were going to have to hire all these non-engineers. And engineers are what make the product go. And if they had to hire all these other non-engineers to make the rest of the company go, that it was going to both have an impact on the culture and it was going to slow down. So my job was to figure out ways to reduce the need for that. Yeah. So that's a pretty big job. So I got to be honest with you and tell you, it's a really ballsy move to go break out on your own and do startup, right? I mean, that's going from one extreme to the other. You've got a, a really high level job that a lot of guys in your field would literally die for. I mean, they would beg for that opportunity. And then you decide to move off into startup and kind of take what you've learned and leverage it for your own. So, I mean, that's a big risk. I call it career skydiving. <laughs> Jumping out of a perfectly good job and hoping that, you know, your skill set and capabilities will be the parachute and you'll, you'll land safely. But, and part of why you do it is because of the thrill. Yeah. But, you know, to sort of focus a little bit more on entrepreneurship and not to get too deep on this stuff, but, you know, one of the best investments you could ever make is an investment in yourself. And this just happens to be the sort of keystone for my career. The investment in myself is my company and building up this company. So it was not an easy decision to leave Facebook. You know, it's a fantastic company, fantastic job. But a big reason that I did it was because of that entrepreneurial spirit that's just deep inside of me. It's always been there. And, and it's really, it truly is, no matter who you are and what you do, the best investment you can ever make is an investment in yourself. Yeah, love it. Perfect. Well, listen, I'm going to ask you one question before we dive into the topic about data. If you could pick any business superpower, right? Any business superpower, something that you don't currently have, maybe something that you admire, maybe you know somebody else who has this superpower and you just really wish you had this business superpower, what would that one thing be? Oh, man, this is, this is a great question. And you know, the best CEOs are really good at figuring out what they are not good at and hiring that superpower. And I'm in the midst of doing this. I'd say for me, it's marketing. You know, I, I like to communicate. I can be good at storytelling. But at the end of the day, there are just people who are exceptional at marketing. And I've come to realize how valuable that skill set and that role is, how it feeds business. And so if I could do one, it would be that, that skill set. Right behind it, I have to give it as an honorary second, is sales. People who are good at finding business opportunity and converting that that opportunity into reality are, you know, really, they're worth their weight in gold, quite literally. And oftentimes, salespeople can be some of the best compensated people in an organization because of that. And that is another skill set that uh, I, I find myself nascent at. 100%. Those two skills right there are two of the most valuable skills in the world, right? I mean, if you yeah. are really good at those skills, you can get a job or start a business or have an impact in almost any country in almost any industry if you're good either of those two skills. So. I come from a guy, I mean, my background, if you look at my background, I'm you know software engineer, went to UC Berkeley. I've got an MBA from Columbia University. I've got all this like amazing stuff on my CV. And I still think those two skills are, are valuable. And what's really, really amazing, some of the people who are the best marketers and the best salespeople, it's not like where they went to school or you know any of this other stuff. It's sort of these deeper characteristics of like an entrepreneurial spirit, a get it done attitude, and just a love for spending time and interacting with people. 
Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you for expanding on that. So now we're going to talk about, let's pivot and talk about how to better leverage data to actually grow your business. Because we have all these, I'm noticing, you know, I noticed in my previous business and even in my current business, we have all these data silos, right? We've got data on Facebook. We've got data in Google. We got data in our CRM. We got data coming out our hoo-ha, right? I mean, Google Analytics (laughs) and all these, we got data everywhere, right? And the problem is, is that it's all seems very disconnected and, you know, almost really hard to, to do anything with, right? I mean, you can do things with pieces of it, but then you're making decisions on just a small picture of the pie. So it's kind of, it's intimidating to me. So I'm really eager to hear about it. And I think the audience will too. So can you help us unpack that a little bit? Talk to us about how you would do that. Yeah. So, you know, going back to what we were just talking about with sales and marketing, one of the best things to make those functions even more effective is data because it answers a ton of questions that allow you to focus your time and attention in the right areas. And, you know, so the first part of this, knowing like where this can take you and, you know, just to, to point out a couple of examples, one from my background, Facebook, companies like Netflix, Amazon, these are businesses which are just incredibly focused on using data to make the decisions that they need to cut out the ambiguity as much as possible. It is, is by the way, impossible to eliminate all ambiguity and you still need human judgment on a lot of things, but the data can cut out a lot of it and, and really help you make better decisions on that. And the results are speak for themselves. Now, the, you did a great job, I think, of outlining the problem. You know, the thing that we see or that we talk about is data and data is all around us, right? There's data on like, you know, how much time did I spend on my phone today or who did I call or, you know, how many emails did I send? But it's data. It's not actionable information. Like what the heck do I do with all this stuff? I have more data than I know what to do. with. And one of the first parts of any organizational strategy that's going to incorporate data is to build pipelines of data that transform it from its raw form into actionable insights. And you got to do that by curating it, counting it. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I made 10 phone calls today. It's another thing to be able to say, I spent time talking to the right people. I don't need to make any adjustments in my in the way that I'm managing my time. Or no, I spent not enough. I spent too much time talking to the wrong people. So I need to make an adjustment there. The latter is in actionable information. There's an action associated with it. It comes from data, but how do you go from one to the other? And really good technology uh, teams working in conjunction with sales and marketing organizations can help build those, build those pipelines. So that's at a very, very high level what the strategy is. Obviously, there's a lot more detail in here and we can drill into that as you want to see fit here. Yeah. So let me ask you, you know, you talked about building these data pipelines that convert into actionable, you know, advice or actionable pieces of information. So you hear a lot about, and maybe I'm wrong, because again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a neophyte when it comes to this, so you got to bear with me here, but these business intelligence systems, like these systems that are bringing all the data together, I think there's some enterprise type companies and software out there that people are selling where they're trying to solve this problem by connecting all the data, right? Is that, yep. is that kind of what you're talking about, but some you can use an outsource or you can try to build it internally? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, part of what you're talking about here is tools. And uh, the good thing is there are tons and tons of tools out there. The strategy to employ will absolutely use tools, but what tool you use is not strategy. That's a tactic. Gotcha. What matters a lot more are the softer side of things, the 
understanding of the business. Like, you know, what is an actionable insight for a particular organization? You know, take, well, let's look at two companies in my background that I can talk about in depth. One is Facebook and the other is a company called KLA Tencore. Very, very different in terms of how they go to market. Facebook has billions of users and millions, probably tens of millions now of advertisers. That's its customer base. Those are the people that it sells product to. So it's got a bunch of information about a lot of people. And the issue for Facebook is prioritizing what are the things, who are the customers that we want to spend most, the most time with, the ones that matter the most. And there's a lot of different elements of what makes means a customer that matters most. It'd be a customer has a potential to spend, customer who has a willingness to spend, and a customer who needs your assistance to spend more. Now, translate that over to KLA Tinkor, very different company, has 20 customers, probably even less in today's day and age. That, uh, you know, it's not a lot of companies that are making silicon chips. And so they don't have the million user issue. But what they do have, there's a ton of detail about that one account, about exactly what they're doing, about exactly what problems that they're having, about exactly what their capital investment plans are. So they have a different set of data. Now, both of them can use whatever technology you, know, you want to use to build dashboards and insights and all that, but it takes people. It takes somebody who really, really, really understands the business to translate the requirements of the sales organization in either of those whose companies into something actionable. And that person may not be the same person, right? The, the person who's going to be effective at this for a business like Kaylee Tinkor may not be the right person for a company like Facebook. And so it really starts with having a good team that understands your business, understands the decisions that affect how you prioritize what customers to go after and how to talk to them. And then what data is available that can be used to influence those decisions. And when you marry that stuff together, then you can put together some really, really effective processes. Can you speak a little bit to how you were able to do this, you or your team or Facebook as a whole was able to take that data and then make it actionable where it translated into significant growth. Because when I think about data, right, having a just an absolute boatload of data and not necessarily all of it being, you know, obviously actionable, right? Some of it is, some of it isn't. How did you guys leverage that? How did, I mean, what you can tell me, of course, because I don't know if there's anything proprietary. Yeah, let's let's go through a, a couple of examples. So one, when, when Facebook was in its infancy and it was growing, the data challenge was how does it grow its users? And if you know the history of the company, it started in colleges, right? So there was Facebook for Harvard and Facebook for Yale and then Facebook for... And, and they grew by going after one college after the other. And part of how they knew where to go next is they would look at all the information about the students that they were currently connected to and see whom else they might be connected to outside of that university. And that would help prioritize what organization or what university they would go after next. And as Facebook got bigger, this process got more and more refined where it was really good at identifying, uh, putting people into buckets of, okay, this is a new person to the product and they are going to need an experience that's going to help them get connected to more people. And that experience would be very different than a person who has been with the company for or been with the product for a long time, is already very connected. And in that case, they might want to use that person to invite other people into the, the platform. So those are just two simple examples of how Facebook used data in its early days. In the sales organization and for advertising, same similar techniques, but for a completely different kind of customer. In this case, you know, 
Facebook's going after advertisers. So you could imagine you might have big advertisers like Coca-Cola and tiny advertisers like the pizza shop around the corner. And, you know, what are the advertising objectives of each? Well, it turned out in the early days, Facebook didn't actually know this. They only knew that, you know, two people had signed up to create ads. So they started to put questions into the product that would say, what problem are you trying to solve? Coca-Cola is not trying to get people into stores. They're trying to keep, make sure that people are aware of Coca-Cola, that they think about Coca-Cola when they think about a drink. The pizza shop around the corner is absolutely trying to get people into that pizza shop. They don't want to be thinking about people to be thinking about them when they're hungry. They want people to be going there when they're hungry. So those are two very different advertising objectives with different measures of success and different things that you might do in order to achieve those objectives. Facebook actually didn't have that data early on. And so they started to change the product to ask this question of their users. And that's actually a very common technique for companies that, you know, when you're trying to really grow a customer base, one of the first things to truly understand is why is your customer base using your product? What do they like about it? In addition to what are the things that they don't have or that they might need that you can help them with? And that can provide the basis for a ton of conversation with that customer that can help build loyalty but also revenue and business growth. So how does something like that translate into the sales process, right? Because of course you have in Facebook in particular, so you have, because we have a lot of organizations here are going to have small to larger sales teams. So I'm trying to extrapolate maybe an example of how sales teams, small sales teams might be able to take some of that data. And I think obviously you've got to gather the data first. If you don't gather it, there's nothing you can do with it, right? So I think you gave a perfect example of how to improve the product and understand how to best serve that customer. But how does that convert into the sales process? Do you have, can you get a little bit closer to the process, to the salesperson, to this team? Yeah, the biggest issue for sales people, and I spent a lot of time supporting sales at uh, Facebook, and I've been a real study of this, of this business function. The biggest issue for sales people is actually not too different than the rest of us. It's how to spend your time. Because you know, salespeople are really, really good at making money. Therefore, they want to spend time with the customers that are most likely to spend the, the most money with them. The trick is how do they know which customers those are or who's the most likely to convert? Where are people in their purchasing process? Depending on the nature of the business that you're in, the set of information necessary to answer those questions can be different. But the questions that you're essentially asking are the same. Which customer to spend my time on? And if you're not deliberate about this, it can lead to sales performance issues where like, you, know, you spend a bunch of time on an opportunity that just doesn't close. If you're really, really good at being deliberate on this, not only does it lead to less effort to close those deals, but you'll be able to close more, more business. So the process that we're talking about here is really about how to inform sales where, what accounts to spend time with and how to spend time with them in ways that are you know, more meaningful. And that can come in the form of like market intelligence, where your marketing team has got industry data, surveys. Sometimes like if you're selling into certain businesses, the information is publicly accessible in terms of what they need and what they want. Sometimes it's really, really hard. And you have to invest in market intelligence teams that do nothing other than like survey companies or go out and try to gather information that they can use to pull into their systems to help answer some of these questions. It, we have to talk about what specific industry in order to answer you know, which tactic is the best. But at the end of the day, we're using data to help prioritize where people should spend time. 
So in a CRM type example, because this is where salespeople obviously spend a lot of time inside their CRM. It's where a lot, it's that data repository, right? Where they keep track of all the, of all the relevant information for their prospects and their customers. So did you guys build a process or is there an easy process of taking some of that data and integrating it from the product or from, you know, whatever source you're taking it from and integrating it into the CRM? Where you guys had? Did you guys have like a custom CRM, or did you use like a Salesforce, or uh, or just a you know a large enterprise type CRM? Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, Facebook uh, at the end of the day had to build its own CRM in large part because the the number of customers it had was way too large for the technology that was available at the time. Right. Um, Salesforce.com is really good at managing customer bases of you know a few thousand, but not several million. And so we ended up building our own, which was tightly integrated with the rest of the product. Uh, that's not what every company needs to do. In many cases, Salesforce or you know, Pipedrive or any number of, of CRM technologies are sufficient. And for a lot of companies, it's just having a CRM that makes a difference in the first place. Having a place where you put all of your information about a company that you're doing business with is the starting point to be able to build insights that will then change your, your sales process. So just having that is like 80% of the work. The next thing, though, is what you want to start doing is looking at how does the information that you have correlate with results that you want from customers. So what data do you know about customers before they buy from you that will tell you either how likely they are to buy or how much they're going to buy or how much effort it is to get them to buy from you? And the best insight that you can get is something that's counterintuitive because you want to change behavior. Like if your salespeople think that, oh, I want to spend time with large customers because they have bigger budgets. And that is, let's just pretend that that's generally true. Then you don't need to change their behavior. But maybe, and I've seen this in a lot of different businesses, the larger customers actually have longer sales cycles. And it's easier to grow your business focusing on the smaller accounts. You just have to, to like know which of those accounts to spend time with. And when you can answer that question, you change this behavior of your sales team. Let's focus more on these small to medium-sized accounts because the effort that's going to take to close 10 deals is going to achieve much better results than the effort it will take to, to close one deal. The answer to when that is an opportunity comes from having the data about your customers that you can then correlate back with results. So there's some good third-party sources. I'm assuming there's some great resources out there where you can purchase data or get data about your customers? I mean, there's some sort of where you would provide the company name and then that there would be sources where you could actually get their revenues and all their financial information yes. and all that, right? I mean, do you have a couple of good sources for that that you know of? There are, but I will point out a caveat on this, that if you can buy data, then so can your competitors, so can everybody else. So then if we're in a business that uh, is highly competitive, that information, uh, you may need to buy it no matter what, but it, it's, it's not going to help you against your competitors. The best data is the data that, is, uh, that you can get that nobody else can get access to. Not all businesses have this opportunity, but many of them do. You know, one of the reasons why companies that focus on government contracts tend to have a bit of a lock hold on those businesses is they have the relationships to know when certain contracts are coming up for bid. And so they can prepare for that. That's information that they have that helps them prioritize their time. That makes it difficult for somebody who doesn't have that information to come in and there's no place to go off and, and, and buy that. So 
I like the question and I think it's a good one, but at the same time, I think an even better strategy is for companies to think about data that they can get that that's valuable that nobody else can get or that's really hard for others to get. So let me give you an example because that was I think that I think you reined me in really well and kind of focused in on the real issue. So here's an example, and I think I heard this example recently. I'm not sure where I read it, but so let's say for example, you have your website, right? Every company's got their website, whatever that website is, and there's people that are hitting that website with traffic. You know, they're going to different pages. Is there or is there not a way where you can actually know who's hitting your website based on their IP address or based upon these third-party data sources that would allow you to then, at that point, understand who's on your website, who's in, you know, looking at your information, the type of information they're looking at. And then that, I would assume that's a perfect example of the type of business intelligence that would allow you to make timely and good decisions, right? Is that, is that a better so, example? Yes, but then I'll enrich it. So both Facebook and Google provide great ways to put uh, like a tracking pixel or a cookie on the visitors to your website. And then with time, you can run reports and they'll tell you, okay, these people from these locations, and they'll give you some guesses. Facebook's a little bit better at guessing than Google is. These genders, these age groups visited your, your website. But now imagine... So that's data that everybody else can get to. Now imagine you were creative about the content on your website, and you started to you know, build a, a, you know, like a, a small game or a survey for people. Like, tell us what you like to eat for... You know, what, what's your favorite ice cream? or What's your, if you could buy a fast car, would it be a Mustang or would it be a Corvette or you know, something like that? And now if you're able to turn that into insights, like the answer to those questions sometimes can give you personality information. This person's more of a risk taker and this one is, likes to sort of buck the status quo. More psychographics versus demographics, right? Psychographics versus demographics, which then help give you insight on how to approach that account. That can then give you a leg up on your competition who just has the information about, you know, okay, this is the general age group of people who buy my product. And so it's an example of what I'm talking about, that when you can find a differentiator by collecting something that nobody else can collect, it can really create a, you know, competitive advantage for your business. Love it. Perfect. Anything else you want to add about, about how to leverage data? And then we're going to ask a couple final questions, wrap it up for today. You know, the, uh, the other thing that, uh, that I often find with people, they, they look for data that confirms things that they already know, and they discount data that tells them things that they don't believe. And this is a classic mistake that people make, because it's usually in that circumstance that the greatest insight is right in front of you. What I like to look for for data is not the data that tells me things that I already know. I'm not any smarter after looking at that stuff. It does help sometimes to confirm a belief that I have. But generally, what's more interesting to me is when the data says something that I believe is the exact opposite or I believe to be wrong. Now, that doesn't mean the data is always right, but it does lead to a deeper insight as to why. And that's the place to spend your time on. But if you have kind of a mindset that, oh, I only want to use data because my boss told me to use data, so I'm going to look for the data that confirms my, my beliefs so that I can get him off my back, you've already lost because you're going to pass up the big opportunities that are right in front of you. Yeah, great point. Awesome. Well, listen, let's do rapid fire on these next two questions, if you would. What's your favorite growth tool or software, something, whether it be a SaaS product or an app, 
something other than woven, of course, which is your product, but what would be something that you use every day to help you grow your business? A tool or? <laughs> it's going to be consistent with what we've talked about. I look at a product called Data Studio every day. This is Google's BI tool. And it is the way that I manage my business. It tells me how many new customers that I get today. How many customers have I gotten this week? I can use that to predict what my month is going to look like, whether we need to make adjustments to our marketing plans. I can use it to see whether or not people are liking the product. Are they you know, becoming paying users or are they you know, sort of falling out and not, not interested in things? So to me, that, that all comes from this thing called Data Studio, which is what I look at every single day. Is that a, that's a free product through Google? Yeah, it's part of their Google Cloud uh, platform. Woven is a Google Cloud product. So we get sort of all this stuff as a, as a package deal. Amazon has some, some similar things. Data Studio is actually very similar to things like Heap Analytics or Tableau, other BI uh, software. So I don't know that I would argue that it is necessarily the best or the worst, but it is the one that I use every day. It's a core part of how I run my business. Love it. And what would be one book that's maybe helped you throughout your journey or something you might think might help the audience? Uh, you know, I love this book I'm reading right now called Deep Work. And the core insight here is actually very close to what Woven does which, uh, regarding helping people to spend time on what matters most. The core insight here is we do our most substantial work when we're focused, when we do nothing other than that. And we sort of cut out all the noise. and the so actionable translation into our lives is to try to structure your your days and your weeks that way to preserve that deep thought time for the things that matter most maybe it's you know preparing for a customer reach out maybe it's if you're a software engineer it's coding or maybe if it's you know you're a, a CEO it's you know, putting together your your financial presentations or if you're trying to pitch for investment in your company you know whatever it is each role is different, but to have that time reserved and have as much of it as you can afford. And then bucket everything else up into that interrupt drip. That's where you do your email, your phone calls, your you know, quick errands, the stuff that you can spend five minutes on and then move on to the next thing and the context which is going to kill you. Perfect. Well, listen, let everybody know how they can learn more about Woven, your product, the calendar product that you've been spending so much time and energy on, and um, how they might be able to connect with you. And then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah, we're easy to find. You can just uh, check us out at woven.com. There's lots of information about the product and what we do, things that techniques that we make available to help people save time. We're also available on the iOS, uh, Windows, and Mac app stores. You can search for Woven there. And in fact, just in general, the easiest way to find us is search for Woven. Perfect. Listen, I downloaded the app on Woven or on my iPhone before I got on this call. So I'm definitely going to check it out. I recommend everybody in the audience do the same thing. Really, really appreciate you being here, Tim. Thanks for joining me. And I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.